those words towards the end, nail, spear shall pierce you through, a cross be born for me and you. Such a good reminder of why Jesus came ultimately to this world. Let's, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for gathering us here tonight to celebrate the coming of our Savior. I ask now as your word is opened to us again that you would give ears to, to hear and eyes to see, hearts to receive what your spirit says to us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> I was reminded as we sang that last verse too of something my, uh, my seven-year-old said today in Sunday school. They, they asked him uh, today what the three kings or the three wise men uh, brought Jesus when he was, you know, a baby. And my son said, frankincense, gold, and fur. So he was close. I mean, it wasn't a bad idea. It would have made sense. But uh, So we're, we're going to look at a, an epistle passage tonight, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And it reads like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, which literally means the good news, the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. End of reading. We are living in a time where there never seems to be a shortage of news. Or at least that's what Fox, CNN, and MBC, MSNBC want us to believe. Back in the day when there were only three major television networks, Americans somehow found it possible to digest the day's news by maybe reading a newspaper in the morning and then watching a nightly news program for a half an hour in the evening, probably most of the time read to you by one guy, Walter Cronkite. But now, for 24 hours a day, we are bombarded by constant news about all the things under the sun. We hear seemingly endless news about the president's impeachment or what our president wrote on Twitter or all the other things that our president does all the hours of the day. We hear news of wars and rumors of wars at any given moment, news of how our economy is doing at any given moment. There's almost always a, a ticker under the screen telling you the numbers as it's happening of the stock market. We hear news about 
China's economy and how it's doing, news about the recent British election and how that's doing, news about climate change and news about technological advances, and I could go on and on, all of it presented in a way that is sure most of the time to heighten our anxiety. Then, as if that weren't information overload in itself, we are then presented with analysts and pundits of the day breaking down the news for us to help us get perspective about what it all means. So I don't know about you, um, I just get news fatigue. I get, I get overwhelmed, I get tired, and I gotta, I gotta turn it off. On the other hand, though, there is really, truly such a thing as good news, I promise it's really true, that does result in joy and relief and rest that, that really I don't know if I can ever get enough of. I'm always ready to hear good news. You've, you've just received uh, the, the acceptance letter from the college that you dreamt of attending? Joy! Uh, you, you've just... Uh, gotten hired by a company that you had always hoped you'd work for. Hooray! Or you finally finished off paying, finished paying off your student loans. I mean, you're 92, but relief! Wonderful, sweet relief. In our text today, the Apostle Paul, in his introduction to his letter to the Romans, declares that he has been set apart specifically by God, to deliver news to the world. Specifically, the good news of God, the gospel of God. That's what our text says. It's good news. And of course, this is the ultimate good news of Christmas that results in joy and relief and rest and oh, so much more. And this introduction that he is, uh, in this introduction, he is going to spell out for us where it is we can find this good news of God what the content is of this good news of God, and finally, who the recipients are to be of this good news of God. So where, what, and who of the good news of God? First of all, where does Paul say we find this good news? Well, he makes it pretty clear. As he writes in verse 2, the good news of God is found he says this way, through what the prophets had promised beforehand, and this is the important quote, in the Holy Scriptures. Yes, the Holy Scriptures are where we are to look if we would hope to find God's good news. Now, Paul will go on to say later in this same chapter, in chapter 1 of Romans, that you can, you can find out some news about God simply by looking around at nature. It's true that, you know, that nature declares the glory of God. There's psalms that talk about that. Verse 20 of this chapter, just a few verses later, Paul says that nature helps us perceive both God's eternal power and divine nature. In other words, you know, we look around at the design of the universe and the vast majority of human beings have said all throughout history, well, that must mean there's some sort of designer or maybe designers, but there's something above this world. 
We look at the fact that the universe is expanding, which shows us at least it lends itself to maybe believing that there was a beginning, and if there was a beginning, then maybe there had to be a beginner. And so there's been this, you can sort of deduce from nature that yes, maybe there's someone or something above and beyond all this. In chapter two, Paul will even go on to make a case that even our sense of morality, our consciences can lead us to believe that the God above us must be a good and just God. We can sort of intuit this stuff. We can deduct it from what we see in nature. That is true. There is some news to be found there. And that's why every civilization throughout human history has always had some form of worship to some sort of deity or deities. So yes, we can know there's someone out there just by looking at what's around us. But this is a very incomplete view of God. As a matter of fact, it's actually, in, at least in one sense, it could be a slightly terrifying view of God or a scary view of God because if all we can know of him is this fact that he's divinely powerful and that he's eternal, well, human beings have good reason to be afraid. Because not only are we so, so small in comparison to the vast scope of the universe, but also we know deep down that we have disobeyed this God. Even if we had never heard of the Ten Commandments, something in us knows we haven't lived up to even our own conscience's standards and something in us, therefore, has this sense of guilt or shame when we don't. And the thought of facing such a powerful divine being, imperfect and flawed as we all are, leaves us at best with great uncertainty and fear over what's to come in this life and after. So yes, in order to find out God's will for you, in order to find out something more about God's plan for you, this God's love for you, this God's incarnation into this world for you, this God's sacrifice to have you, i.e. the good news of God, you have to go to his word. That's where that's revealed. Just as on the first night of Christmas, the shepherds were directed by God's word uh, to the Messiah in Bethlehem, so too the word of God still directs us today to see this good news for ourselves. So that's where you find the good news. It's in the scriptures. Secondly, what is the content of the good news of God? Well, Paul spells it out again, going on to verse 3. He writes, this good news of God is, quote, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. We'll stop there just for the time being. What's abundantly clear is that the good news of God 
is not merely every uh, thing in the scriptures. I'll flesh that out in a little bit more, a little bit later. But it's centered specifically on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul notes first his humanity. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, of the Trinity, becomes a real human being, is born with real flesh and blood, descended from a real King David that really existed. Now, you may ask, what's such good news about that? Why is that so great? Well, there really are two answers that the scriptures give. First of all, it's good news that Jesus, the Son of God, actually became a real human being because as the author of the biblical book Hebrews puts it, uh, for we do not have a high, he says this of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, the good news of just the person of God becoming a human being for us is that we don't have a God that is distant and removed from the problems, the temptations, from the sufferings of the world. He knows what it's like to be outcast. He knows what it's like to be popular. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to bleed. He knows what it's like to hurt. And he knows what it's like to experience great joy. He knows the stuff of human life. He is not watching us from a distance, but he's involved. The great theologian and preacher Helmut Thielica wrote once, Jesus Christ did not remain at base headquarters in heaven, receiving reports of the world's suffering from below and shouting a few encouraging words to us from a safe distance. No. Jesus Christ left the headquarters and came down to us in the frontline trenches, right down to where we live, where we contend with our anxieties and the feeling of emptiness and futility, where we sin and suffer guilt, and where we must finally die. There is nothing that he did not endure with us. He understands everything. End quote. But that in itself is not enough because Jesus is not merely a man, but also the very Son of God. He proved this in, in all sorts of ways throughout his life with all of his miracles and things. I mean, he did all these miracles as signs to validate his claims about himself, which is that he indeed was sent from God, that he was the long-awaited Messiah. But of course, the most significant way he proved his divinity was through his death and resurrection, Paul notes here. And so we put these two things together, his humanity and his divinity, and we have the beginnings of the complete message about the person and work of Christ. On the one hand, he is the only human to live without sin, and therefore that qualifies him to stand righteously in humanity's place, as he heads to the cross, it qualifies him to pay the punishment for sin since he never did sin. But on the other hand, because he's divine, he is qualified to die a death big enough to cover all of humanity, not merely just one human being. He is qualified to atone for it all. So we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, and that our is 
you and you and you and me and them, all, everybody. For our sake, he made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you want the shortest encapsulation of sort of the great exchange that happens between us and Jesus, that verse is it, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Mark it, memorize it, it's good news. But that's not, of course, all the content of the good news of God. Paul goes on to declare that all of Christ's accomplishments for us are given to us sheerly by his grace that leads to the obedience of faith in us. It's all given to us. It's gift. Forgiveness of sins, given. The promise of heaven, given. All gift. We do nothing to earn it. It's all one for us by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So then the good news of God becomes even more narrow in its definition. It is, again, not simply proclaiming even the scriptures that gets us to the good news of God, but specifically the scriptures as they point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus, in talking to his disciples after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, tells them all of the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New are about me. They're about me. So let me apply this just very down to earth for you and for me. If someone claims to be preaching, quote unquote, the good news of God, the gospel, apart from preaching the person and work of Jesus Christ, they are simply not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean, by the way, that what they're preaching necessarily is wrong. If they mention other things, it can be just fine. As a matter of fact, it is just fine. It just means it's not the good news of God. For example, uh, me declaring to you, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is good biblical teaching. That is God's law. That should be shouted from every pulpit in the world. I agree. That is good stuff. It's just not the good news of God. It's the law of God, but it's not declaring to us good news. It's just exhortation. It's command. Listen, I think uh, the, the teaching, I can yell up here at you or I can say it really softly. Hey, turn the other cheek if somebody hits you. Go the extra mile. Love your enemy. All good things, not the good news. Do you see the distinction? The good news is specific. It's about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news of God says that though you haven't loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved your neighbor as yourself, 
Though you haven't turned the other cheek, God and Jesus Christ has done these things in your stead, on your behalf, died the death that your sins have earned, and has raised to new life, promising that all who believe their sins are forgiven, and they too will be raised to new life. Do you see the difference? The good news proclaims what Christ fulfills in his life. Charles Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher, once supposedly said about preaching from anywhere in the scriptures, I take my text and immediately make a beeline to the cross. That's what it is to preach the good news. It's not to ignore all the other parts of scripture. It's to see all the parts of Scripture pointing to the good news. And that, that leads to the, the final point I want to go over here from Paul. And that is, who are the recipients of this good news of God supposed to be? Who gets it? Who qualifies? Paul says towards the end of the passage, very clearly, simply all nations. We see this theme come up over and over again, especially as we have been going through the book of Revelation together over and over. Heaven is presented as a place containing people from every tribe, tongue, nation, every part of the globe, praising God's name and his mighty works. And it's hard for us to get this today because we've heard it. We've heard, for God so loved the world, and we've heard passages like this that we sort of take it for granted. But this was so revolutionary in the first century. It was so countercultural because everything was divided by class and everything was divided by status. And it did, but here, Paul is saying it doesn't matter the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the black, the white, whatever. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. It's for everybody. Christ died for everybody. The good news is that it's for you and you and you and I can say that without having my fingers crossed behind my back. I mean it. But of course what's even more significant for our specific purposes here tonight is that it's not just the world but it's, it's me that Christ lived and died and rose again for. And for you, you can say it was for me that God did this. So again, if we're just going to apply this very brass facts, if any preacher or teacher claims to be preaching the good news of God, but they do not say that it is for everybody, if they make uh, distinctions between who this good news is for and who it isn't based on anything at all, they're not preaching the good news of God. No matter what sins one person has committed, no matter one's background, rich or poor, whatever the case may be, this proclamation of the good news is for everyone. It does not mean that everyone will accept this good news. That's a separate question. But it does mean that it was accomplished for everyone, whether they receive it 
or not. Yes, in Christ, God says to you and to me at Christmas, I've come for you. I'll wrap up right now. J.B. Phillips gives us a wonderful little story illustrating the deep contrast we find in the good news of God. In the story, he writes of a fictitious conversation between a senior angel and a very young angel. I don't know that there are such things in the reality of the heavenlies, but for our purposes here, we imagine a very senior angel and a very young angel. Philip Yancey describes the rest for us. They, the angels view whirling galaxies and blazing suns, and they flit across the infinite distances of space until at last they enter a particular galaxy of 500 billion. As the two of them drew near to the star which we call our sun and to its circling planets, the, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull and as dirty as a tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind, of course, was filled with the size and glory and grandeur of what he had seen in the rest of the universe. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel. The young angel said, well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me. What's special about that one? The little angel listened in stunned disbelief as the senior angel told him that this planet, small and insignificant and not overly clean, was the renowned visited planet. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating orb? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like them. Or to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. And yet the good news of God proclaimed this Christmas and every Christmas is that as, that as incomprehensible as it may seem, God has come, just as the scripture said he would. He has provided the reconciliation that the world has desperately needed. And this is the good news. Father, we thank you that it's so, so, everything here is so accessible to us. We have Bibles in abundance. Your word is given to us in abundance where we can read of the good news. The, it's written clearly so that we can find out what the content 
of the good news is and center our lives upon it. And we can be confident that yes, it's even for, for us. Because it clearly says you did it for all nations. So Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving. And we pray the prayer that our Savior gave us with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. 